Welcome to The Score Seeker, a podcast series dedicated to uncovering the captivating lives and brilliant works of both the most famous and also the lesser known composers in history. I'm your host, composer, cellist, music producer, and podcaster, Noah Marconi. In this episode, we will explore one of Romantic composer Robert Schumann's most celebrated works, the Concerto for Piano and Orchestra in A Minor. We will discover together the profound emotions, dazzling virtuosity, and timeless beauty that await us as we explore the vibrant landscape of this concerto, a testament to the enduring power and allure of this beloved genre. So let's dive right in and uncover the story behind Schumann's remarkable contribution to the world of piano concertos. You are listening to The Score Seeker, Episode 1, The Schumann Piano Concerto. Robert Schumann, by the early 1840s, initially had reservations about composing a piano concerto. He had spent much of his early career focused on solo piano works and had yet to venture into the realm of orchestral composition. As with much of his output post-1840, it was Clara, his wife, who encouraged him to branch out into the symphonic medium, and the direct result of that push was the First Symphony. However, that is not to say that Schumann never attempted a concerto until this time. In 1828, at the age of 18, he began a concerto in E-flat major, followed by a period from 1829 to 31 when he dedicated his efforts to a concerto in F major. Additionally, in 1839, he composed a movement for a concerto in D minor. However, none of these endeavors reached fruition, and these works remained unfinished. As early as 1833, Schumann initially conveyed his intention to compose a piano concerto cast in the key of A minor. In correspondence addressed to his future father-in-law, Friedrich Wieck, he expressed the following sentiment, quote, I believe the piano concerto should be in either C major or A minor. Bringing his ideas closer to fruition, between May 17th and 20th, 1841, Schumann composed a one-movement piece for piano and orchestra he called a fantasy in A minor. Despite his attempts, he was unable to sell it to publishers. Over the next two years, Schumann made revisions to the piece, but without success. It was his wife, Clara, who encouraged him to expand it into a full-fledged piano concerto, and in 1845, Schumann added the intermezzo and allegro vivace movements, completing the work, and it would remain the only piano concerto Schumann ever finished. Now, one important thing to mention about Schumann's writing is that frequently he writes within the styles of two contrasting characters, that which he called Floristan and Eusebius, which represented both sides of his personality. Floristan is passionate and impetuous, featuring energetic rhythms, dramatic melodies, and powerful climaxes. Eusebius is introspective and dreamy, promoting gentler melodies often with subtle nuances. The interplay between Florestan and Eusebius creates a sense of tension and resolution, and serves as vehicles for Schumann to express the full range of his emotions, from fiery passion to introspective contemplation, and to explore the depths of his artistic vision. This concerto is no exception. The first movement, originally called Fantasy, 
had its premiere on August 13, 1841, at the Gewandhaus in Leipzig, featuring Clara Schumann as the soloist. The complete three-movement version of the concerto was first performed on December 4, 1845, in Dresden, once again with Clara Schumann as the soloist and Ferdinand Hiller, the dedicatee, as the conductor. Less than a month later, on January 1, 1846, the concerto was also performed in Leipzig, conducted by Felix Mendelssohn. Given the fact that the origin of the first movement was in a one-movement composition, the opening movement displays a distinctive departure from the traditional sonata concerto form prevalent during the time. Instead, the movement proceeds in free-flowing and contrasting episodes, blurring the lines between exposition, development, and recapitulation. That is not to say that there isn't main thematic material. Here is the main theme of the first movement. The opening germ of the theme are the notes C, B, A, and A. In German, the musical note B is actually represented by the letter H, and thus, the opening four notes spell out the Italian translation of Schumann's wife's name, Clara, which would be Chiara. C, H for B, I, A, R, A. Schumann did like his musical cryptograms, and you can find all sorts of cryptograms across his body of work. In a major departure from sonata form, there is no second theme. Another motive does crop up, but it acts more like transitional material, and all the while the Clara theme is continuously sculpted, molded, and developed. The piece commences with a vigorous impact produced by the whole orchestra, swiftly followed by an intense series of downward chord strikes from the piano embodying the spirited character of Floriston. Following this, the oboe, accompanied by other wind instruments, introduces the Clara theme, representing Eusebius, evoking a dreamlike quality. After its introduction by the woodwinds, the theme is subsequently taken up by the soloist. <laughs> The prominent secondary motive, which I will call motive A, emerges at this point, a flowing line of eighth notes that passes between the strings, the winds, and the piano, giving Schumann the means to create dialogues between the sections of the orchestra and the soloist.
is the Clara theme in a bright C major, the first permutation. The second permutation is here played by the clarinet amidst cascading piano arpeggios. And now an oboe seeks a dialogue with the piano on motive A. rounds out this opening exposition section in a rousing fanfare. section of the movement begins with a dramatic lament. Now modulated to A-flat major, the gorgeous Clara theme undergoes metric alterations and is referenced through piano arpeggios. However, 
The tranquility is abruptly disrupted by the declamatory opening chords and a struggle between Florestan and Eusebius ensues, shaping the development with rapid shifts between solos and 2D passages. Another permutation of the Clara theme is also introduced in this section. As the tension builds, a modulation to A minor occurs, and the recapitulation is eventually reached, faithfully echoing the exposition note for note, the woodwinds carrying the Clara theme first and then the piano.
now the bright major variation of the Clara theme is reached again, this time in A major, thus satisfying the sonata form key relationships. which is an extended passage for the soloist to play by themselves, Schumann heavily develops motive A as well as the Clara theme.
Now for the coda, which is the ending section, a pulsating and enigmatic march rhythm takes control, representing the final permutation of the Clara theme, and the first movement of the concerto concludes with four emphatic 2D chords. The second movement, marked intermezzo, andantino grazioso, deviates from the conventional slow movement format and offers more of an interlude between the larger outer movements. Schumann infuses it with an intimate lyrical character, reminiscent of a tender serenade. This is Eusebius's music through and through. Here, the piano and orchestra engage in a delicate dance, weaving together melodic fragments and gentle exchanges, creating a sense of introspection. Formally, the movement follows an ABA structure, with the first theme being a set of four rising notes, followed by two flourishes of solo piano. The B section is carried by an extrovertedly expressive cello melody derived from the A theme. Then, following a condensed recap of the A section, the movement concludes by briefly revisiting glimpses of the Clara theme from the first movement before seamlessly transitioning into the exciting third movement. Remember this falling or sighing motive. It'll come back in the final movement.
Here is the Clara theme in clarinet and bassoons, first in A major, then in A minor, and then back in A major, the key of the final movement, as we head into the rambunctious finale. introduces a lively and energetic atmosphere, showcasing Schumann's skillful handling of virtuosic passages for the solo piano. It exudes a playful and exuberant quality, full of rhythmic drive and technical brilliance, leading the concerto to a thrilling conclusion. The first subject of the third movement is derived from the A theme of the second movement, as they both feature a rising line of four notes, like thus. Unlike the first movement, Schumann adheres pretty much to the standard two-theme sonata form, albeit with an extended coda. To that end, to contrast with the first theme, there is a second theme acting as contrasting material. It is introduced by the strings with short staccato chords. A feature of the movement is its great rhythmic displacement. The meter is in a fast 3-4 time, which is felt in 1, but Schumann frequently writes beat patterns of 2 or even 6, and sometimes starts phrases in the middle of bars. It gives the music its lightness and dance-like quality, but more importantly, it's interesting to listen to and keeps the audience guessing. Okay, let's listen to the final movement with my usual periodic comments. the second subject, which is in E major, the 3-4 meter, felt in 1, is entirely meaningless. The music is in 2, sometimes 6, starts in the middle of the measure, and so on. This is Schumann at its finest, and greatly influenced Brahms and Dvorak in their own rhythmic personalities.
Schumann is about to signal a huge arrival of the first subject, which he does reach, it quickly cuts off in favor of using the theme in a short fugal section, signaling the onset of the development section. section features a new motive, which I will call the C motive. It will be seen again in the coda. It can be heard here in the oboe. Modulations through motive C finally come to a rest on a pedal A, thus setting up the return of the first subject in D major. In this next big 2D statement of the theme, hear how the orchestra passes the melody to the piano and back in exciting dialogue. This is the recapitulation of the sonata form. The second subject is presented in the home key of A major, thus satisfying the sonata form.
first subject returns once more, but this time in A major, and Schumann lets it play out in full, as opposed to when it was cut short the first time in the exposition or in D major the second time in the recap. Sorry to interrupt the music, but I do have to talk about the next bit for just a second. We are in the extended coda now, and here Schumann presents some slightly new material in the form of a graceful run of eighth notes going up and down over an oscillating harmony. Now, remember the falling or sighing motive from the second movement? It comes back here in the strings and is absolutely so beautiful. It's definitely one of my favorite parts of the whole piece. The falling fifth, which connects the falling motive and the first subject, can be heard in the first violins. The section will come back again later on, and you can hear the motive again in the flute. Additionally, motive C appears in the coda, marking its importance in the overall narrative of the movement. of the first subject. And here is motive C. first subject in dialogue between winds and strings over huge piano runs. C motive brings the concerto to a glorious conclusion. Mm -hmm. 
Upon its debut, the work was received positively and has consistently garnered that reception ever since. Clara Schumann praised its richness of invention, continuous interest, freshness, and coherence. Critics particularly highlighted the skillful and vibrant orchestration, which allowed ample space for both piano and orchestra. The composition expertly linked the independent parts together, avoiding the monotony often associated with the genre. The orchestral treatment was admired for its independence, beauty, and interest, with some acknowledging that the piano's role receding into the background was a positive aspect of the concerto genre's progress. Interestingly, the romantic Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg may have taken inspiration from Schumann's concerto when composing his own piano concerto, as the two works virtually begin the exact same way and are in the same key of A minor. Schumann's concerto has since become one of the most popular and frequently recorded piano concertos of the Romantic period. Throughout it, Schumann employs recurring thematic elements and motives that unify the composition, creating a sense of cohesion amidst the unconventional structure of the work. The seamless transitions and interconnectedness of the movements contribute to the overall narrative and emotional arc. By incorporating elements of fantasy into the concerto's structure and form, Schumann transcended the boundaries of traditional concerto composition. He embraced a more organic and imaginative approach, allowing the music to flow freely, blending moments of passion, lyricism, and virtuosity into a cohesive, romantic whole. The recording you heard today was performed by pianist Vladimir Ashkenazi with Uri Segal leading the London Symphony Orchestra, which is my favorite recording of the work. Please visit my website, noamarconimusic.com, and navigate to the Scoreseeker page to see notations of the themes and diagrams of the forms of the movements. You can also find this performance, as well as two other recommended performances on curated playlists created in Apple Music and Spotify, with links found on the webpage. Until next time, this score is closed, and keep on listening. See ya. (laughs) 